0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatou Sow. And I'm Ann Friedman. (laughs) On this week's agenda, cramps, hysterectomies, and the quest to make doctors believe women's pain. Mike Pence's abortion delusions, what Parkland teens do and don't have in common with Black Lives Matter teens, and why the only Glock we want in schools is the Glockenspiel.
1: So back in town, Um, I can't believe I'm even attempting to sing. I can't sing to save anybody's life.
0: I do think that you singing Thin Lizzy hits some kind of like, like Midwest dive bar, classic rock, like Venn diagram where I'm like, "Mm, keep going.
1: Well, I'm just excited because it's the first time that we're recording this podcast since December. I know that the user experience, like people think that we've been around every week. But truly, like, since December, I've been in like cancer land. So, this is a, it's exciting to be back.
0: I mean, love having you back. There have been approximately 1 million things that I have wanted to process with you in the news. But, like, you know what? It's also good sometimes, I think, to like take a step back and be like, let's talk about the stuff that is not commanding our attention, like, on the front page of the paper.
1: I Listen, as somebody who knows nothing about the news recently, Stop I'm going to tell you. It's true. I like kind of don't know anything. Things happen at a clip that I literally cannot um, process. But also on my cancer journey, I love the phrase cancer journey. First of all. Uh, I'm taking a lot of naps like a menopause is kicking my ass. So I am just like I've reverted to full baby and I take approximately two naps a day. And I literally don't know what's happening in the news. Like, if it's not in a friend's Instagram story, I don't know what's going on in the okay, world. Okay, but also and your timing... is fine.
0: Your timing of, like, jokes about Hope Hicks' hair is also still impeccable, so you can't pretend to be that far off the news cycle. Okay,
1: first of all, Hope Hicks is more than politics. Hope Hicks is culture, you know? <laughs> like, she's, she's part of the Gossip Girl empire, and I do love her hair. The reason I'm invested in Hope Hicks specifically it's a really good reminder for me that I was bamboozled by her because she was beautiful. Where I was like, oh, I also have a bias towards beautiful
0: people. Pretty people get away with everything.
1: I know, but I thought that, you know, like that didn't apply to me. And then it's like <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> I was obsessed with her pics. She's so beautiful. I love her eyebrows. My God, her hair, I just all of it. And I thought that she was really a mastermind, you know, like not that she was going to save us. But I thought that she was definitely throwing people under the bus. And then, no, turns out she's a dummy like the rest of them, and she's going to be carted away in the paddy wagon when uh, Sweeps Weeks comes. It turns so out it's it a paddy was... wagon,
0: not a bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, never mind. Like, she fooled me, too. No. But, yeah, Robert Mueller, can you step up the season of America, please? It just He keeps introducing new characters. The arcs aren't completing. I'm just ready for Sweeps Week. I'm like, when, like, when is the plot moving forward? You mean the perp walk? That's Sweeps he, Week content like (laughs) oh my
0: god I
1: just like can't wait but anyway it's good to be
0: back it feels awesome yeah, so wait, so maybe you can talk maybe we can talk a little bit about your cancer journey TM in a minute. <laughs> but first but first I want to talk about this blood drive that we're doing at like the top of the show because Yes. If anyone listened to last week's episode, you heard us me and Gina talk about this a little bit, but I also want to talk about it with you because one reason we wanted to do this is you have like survived thanks and thrived thanks to strangers' blood and we wanted to collect more of it.
1: I am so emotional about the blood drive for many reasons. One, vampire reasons. Two, uh, (laughs) you know, like, when I told you that you couldn't come be my nurse here, which I know was your first impulse... You know, and I was like, no, Anne, it's just cancer. We all have to live our lives. I
0: had typed, Um, like, the most of the characters of kayak.com into my browser (laughs) when you were like,
1: no. you were, like, (laughs) moving into an Airbnb on the street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, no, we're not going to let this disrupt our lives. You channeled all of your Midwest energy into planning a meal train for me and then this blood drive, which, honestly, relationship goals. You were the queen of logistics, and I was really touched But the thing about the blood drive, too, is that like, yeah, it like personally means so much to me because for the last five years, I have been just bleeding like a gunshot victim. Every time I had my period, every single time I had a period, I would almost undoubtedly get a blood transfusion that was like given by a stranger that I could never say thank you to. Um, Blood products save lives. And it's just like such an easy way to make a difference. One donation of somebody's blood can save up to three lives. It was just such a reminder that like, yeah, you know, for all of our like, I'm a self-sufficient person, I, I give more than I take or whatever is that like strangers help you every single day. And like that is so apparent in like blood giving and blood getting.
0: Right. So the blood drive is not like we're collecting all these pints of blood for you specifically, just to be clear. They're all going to be in my fridge.
1: (laughs) All of the blood is coming to my house. You're going to be like a
0: Tilda Swinton sexy vampire just hoarding that. I'm like doing facials every day with
1: your type A, B blood. Thanks guys. No, the blood drive is to replenish blood banks around uh, cities that I love. So if you live in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Chicago... Austin, Texas, New York, New York, um, did I miss a city? Uh, and yes, Minneapolis, Los, Los
0: Angeles, home Minneapolis, of Oh, yeah,
1: and <laughs> Los, Los Angeles, sorry. <laughs> Minneapolis and Los Angeles. You can go to callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive and uh, find information to sign up. If the blood drive is already full in your city, don't be scared. You can literally walk in any day into any blood bank in the country, even around the world. Somebody sent me a tweet of her giving blood in London this morning and I cried. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And just do that. Do that for your fellow uh, human person. Is really a selfless act of uh, citizenship.
0: Yeah. And I also have to say, you know how there are those like, really rich kept women who are like, I'm just a philanthropist now. I don't work. I like do charitable causes. <laughs> and I'm like, after after like working to be honest with also like a good handful of other friends who love you, like it wasn't like just me, but like after devoting some hours to planning blood drives, I'm like, wow, that could be me someday. Like I really could fill my time as like a kept wife philanthropist type.
1: <laughs> so Oh my God, the, the people need it. The people need it. Um, I know. So, yeah, so if you give blood in a city not on our list, you can still go to our website and log your donation. We want to know exactly how many pints are coming to my fridge. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, we're just doing a little bit of tracking. Here's also my advice to, like, to you if you're going to give blood. Be very hydrated. Your veins will be plumper the more hydrated you are, and the easier they'll be to find. Like, all these people who are always like, I'm so afraid of needles, Not to minimize your pain, even though I literally just did. A lot of the pain just comes from them, like, looking for your veins and fumbling around or whatever. And the other thing is also, like, bring a snack. They definitely give you snacks there. But, like, just have some food on you because you're going to feel a little hangry. And Anne's best tip, ask for a blanket if you're cold. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: So I tried to give pre, like, blood drive um, on my own you know, thinking I was going to be a champion at this because I'm not scared of needles. I grew up with like a diabetic sister, so needles are no big deal. But I also have tiny veins and I'm always cold. And I was like... They had me underneath an air conditioning unit where I was shivering the whole time. So obviously my veins are not exactly pumping it out. And I didn't really realize until later that I could have, should have asked for a warm blanket to speed things up. Yeah, some places they bring them out of this blanket
1: oven. My God, the blanket oven is my favorite part of being a hospital patient. Can I get that on Amazon? (laughs) I hope so. I'm just like, wow, like this is really toasty. Thank you. So I'm always asking for blankets. And honestly, like, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means so much. Also, on our website, you will find that there uh, we acknowledge that uh, blood giving is very discriminatory. And don't worry, it's driving us up the wall also. So if you can't give blood, like, please don't feel bad. It's not your fault at all. The FDA won't let anybody be great. It's very... um, Blood giving politics are, like, very shamey towards all of the wrong people and it's very very irritating
0: yeah like toward our people it's like gay people and international people and people with tattoos like it's like oh my god that's like everyone we know
1: Totally. So if you can't give, like, please don't feel bad. Tell a friend who can give. Um, feel free to write to your congressperson and your senator about um, getting the FDA to like let us live a little bit. Also, I'm going to make an appeal to my um, fellow people of flavor of color. One reason that it's really important for us specifically to give blood is that there are many blood types that are overrepresented in certain ethnicities, right? And so the fewer like black people or Asian people or Latino people or whatever give blood, the fewer chances are that they will have a big supply of blood for people who like match all of those profiles. And so, um, I am O positive. Um, (laughs) so like, um, not a big deal for me, but for a lot of other people having their specific blood type, like at the blood bank is super, super important. So, Do something for a fellow human being
0: today. Thanks, y'all. All All right. Do you want to go back to your cancer journey, TM? Like, and fill us in on what's been going on. No pressure if you don't want to. But No, it's
1: fine. I feel like it's all I talk about. So I think I'm a little self-conscious about it. Also, you know me. I need a lot of distance between something before I feel like I'm fully understanding what's going on. Like, and by distance, I mean like 15 years.
0: (laughs) We're both (laughs) slow processors. Those are all the things
1: (laughs) I'm processing in therapy right now is everything that happened sophomore year of high school. Yeah, so it almost feels like I'm having an out-of-body experience. I am, what, like five weeks removed from having a um, total hysterectomy and a bilateral salpingo oophorectomy. Those just like fancy words for procedure that means that my uterus is out, my cervix is out, my fallopian tubes are out, and my ovaries are out. And uh, your vagina gets uh, sewed into a nice little purse called a vaginal cuff.
0: Vaginal cuff in season. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I can laugh about that yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm just like, ooh, like
1: wow, triggering my own self. Um, this is why it's good to talk out loud. And uh, honestly, like, uh, I am doing pretty decently. My oncologist is great. Shout out Dr. Cohen. I can't even see my, uh, all the places that she cut me open, whatever those are called. Incisions. (laughs) Incisions, that word. And uh, so, yeah, so they're like, you can get many different kinds of, hysterectomies that like i think one of the most popular ones now is by this thing called a da vinci robot it looks so demented watch it on youtube it's amazing the doctor is literally like feet removed from you and then the robot is like going to town but i i did not have that i had a laparoscopic vaginally assisted hysterectomy so it means that they use the laparoscope to like cut all the stuff and then you give birth
0: to your own gnarly organs. So, uh, oh my God. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. I have, I know I said this to you at the time, but I'm gonna say it again for posterity on the podcast, which is that you are now, you were always like a living feminist metaphor, but like the fact that you birthed yourself is like the most, like, beautiful feminist art project term come to literal life. And I love it so much.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I feel honestly, I feel like very feminist right now, like in <laughs> like at my core, where uh, it's really interesting to go through like uh, GYN cancer experience because obviously like the doctors use all the technical terms you know and all this stuff but you they still have to explain so much to you and i'm like well first of all i was a sex peer educator in college second of all i'm a feminist i know exactly where my myometrium is (laughs) so like don't be shy and they're always so surprised that i'm like like i know the stuff And also I don't have any shame about talking about it. It's made me very kind of emotional about uh, like our friendship and even this podcast and this project about just talking about our bodies so openly, you know, Um, it turns out that a lifetime of being fascinated by my own period chunks means that having uh, a hysterectomy was uh, no biggie.
0: (laughs) Slash also saved your life probably like paying close attention.
1: Yeah. 100% definitely saved my life because it's been such a source of pain for me. So yeah, so like 5 weeks post surgery, I don't have like any surgery problems. It's really funny. They're obsessed with you like uh, peeing right and um, farting and pooping right before they (laughs) send you home. Because that's literally how they know if they've broken anything. (laughs) Anytime you have surgery, you have to sign paperwork. That's like anything that's in the neighborhood of the thing that we're touching is like probably like, you know, like we might fuck it up. Which like, I don't know how to tell you this. Down there, it's like your bladder and your rectum. And I'm like, like, please don't mess that up. So uh, it's <laughs> it's been really interesting. The bladder stuff is like really fascinating because in a lot of women, your bladder sits like right next to your uterus. It just like rests there. It's like, oh, a seat. and uh, Lazy so bladder. Yes. Yeah, so when they take your uterus out, your bladder is freaking out. So a lot of people report this feeling of like whenever they pee, they feel like their bladder is about to like pop out. And I definitely had that for a couple of days. It was really fascinating. And like there's a little bit of pressure and it's getting better. You haven't lived until you have to have a rectal exam. Let me tell you. Uh, (laughs) That's probably going to be the first line of my memoir one day. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's just like a tiny series of humiliations every day. But honestly, like you can handle it. I laughed like I I laughed so hard at the hospital all the time because I'm like, this is the most ludicrous thing that could happen to anybody. Um, so yeah, so like surgery wise, I'm doing good, like kicks a Percocet, walking around, you know, like all that stuff. But, uh, like when they take out your ovaries, you go immediately into uh, medical menopause. And let me tell you, menopause is outrageous. I can't believe <laughs> older women have not burned the entire planet to the ground.
0: I mean, this is the sort of thing where... Um, You know, the whole like if men got their periods, like then whatever, it would be a national holiday every time you got yours or whatever. There's like a million ways to talk about how it would be celebrated instead of shamed and like all painful aspects would be removed. It's like ditto times a million for menopause.
1: Menopause is like, wow, like menopause is truly kicking my ass. I am experiencing all of the symptoms and it feels like uh, puberty in the sense that they're just like... It's normal, and we kind of don't know how long it'll last or how it'll affect your body. Like, the perfect scam. And so, like, some people in my support group, I'm in so many support groups, and I'm addicted (laughs) to support groups, like, online support groups, in person. I, like, dropped in on this breast cancer water tai chi the other day. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm like, I don't even have breast cancer. I'm just here. (laughs) Um, I need friends. Yeah, it's just, like, very strange. Like, some women in my support group are like, oh, I didn't feel any symptoms. Others are like, it's been four years. I still have hot flashes. And the thing about it that I think is the most frustrating to me is that all of cancer medicine is so precise. Like, they're always weighing you. They, like, you know, it's like if you go through radiation, they're, like, weighing specific ounces of nuclear material to put in your body. Like, everything is, like, very science, very precise. And then... You know, you're like, oh, like, I'm menopause. And they go, have you tried essential oils? <laughs> uh, I can't. And that's, like, all, that's all they can do for you. That's literally all they can do for you. And I'm acutely getting all the symptoms. Like, every part of my body is dry, including my hair. Like, it's really, like, messed up. I am not sleeping an ounce. Like, I need to take something to sleep every night, or I cannot sleep. Who knew? Hormones also regulate your sleep. The hot flashes are, whoo. Like, literal Satan inside your body. And then uh, the mood swings are legendary. Like, shout out to everybody who I've cried to, like, for no reason recently. All of it is messed up. Like, you're just, I feel out of control in a preteen. Like, my boobs are coming out. My voice is changing. Like, all that stuff out of control, except that every change is on the inside.
0: Hearing, like, your frustration with this, I have been thinking a lot about how few public narratives there are about menopause. Like, it's not like everyone is into the project that we're into of, like, destigmatizing menarch but like obviously you can point to books and you can point to pop culture and like you know shows and things like that that revolve around getting your period for the first time. The reverse process of exiting through the gift shop, if you will, <laughs> is, is, like, is not something that's reflected. And I really do think that there's something about like, oh, if you're getting a period, like you are now like, hello, like you are now like an attractive woman in the world wants something to do with you. You're an adult, sexualizable person, which is, you know, setting aside the validity of that. There's not a lot of you know, aside from like a few hot flash jokes in the Golden Girls or whatever, which let's be real, they're pretty far past menopause anyway at like that. Yeah. And, yeah. Frankie and Frankie
1: and Grace, you know, and always talking about the lubricant yam stuff.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> true. They're all, yeah.
1: <laughs> they're also like kind of way past menopause and, and it is always a punchline, right? It's always like a, you're always supposed to laugh at this stuff. And I'm like, let me tell you, this is not funny. It's really fascinating also to see how um, I've responded to like everything else. It's like, okay, cancer. It was kind of a relief for me at least to get that diagnosis because it meant that all of these years my pain had been real, right. you know, and, and how I was dealing with everything else. But like menopause is where I've turned into like a complete, I'm like, no, this is not acceptable and some of it has to do with the fact that I'm like, if there's pain in your body or you're uncomfortable, actually you should investigate it and there should be something to make it better.
0: Wait, what? Women women don't need to be in pain all the time?
1: Yeah, women don't need to be in pain. So like two things that I've read about this that are actually great. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of the pod, Jamie Attenberg, wrote a letter of recommendation in the New York Times magazine about hysterectomies. And it's really beautiful. I won't like ruin it for you. You should read it. It was the first thing that I read like post-surgery and it was like a bomb to the heart. But like the point of it was that like, if things are bad in your life, you can cut them out (laughs) and you you can birth yourself. (laughs) Right. And down the road, I do want to have, we'll probably do an episode like specifically about hysterectomies and fertility and all that stuff because I have many thoughts about it. But it was really, I'm like, wow, like what a radical thought. Something is giving you problems. Like take it out of your life we don't know how to do that. And like very close to that um, other friend of the pod, Max Reed wrote in the times also this really funny article about how men are babies about pain, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I 100% believe nobody complains more than like a cis man with a, with a common cold. <laughs> like, and it used to irritate me so much. It's honestly like a thing that has always made partners unattractive to me is when they complain about like my cold, my throat hurts, my like nose is drippy. Sorry, not to minimize your pains, ex-partners. Even though I just did.
0: Also, I uh, legit complained to you about my cold before we started this call. So, and when you're
1: complaining to me, I know that it's real because you never complain about
0: anything. <laughs> I mean, um, lies. But thank you.
1: Also, let's. We're. I'm coming into the era of complaining. But now I'm just like, oh, are men these like unreasonable babies? Uh, probably. But also, are men just like very good at talking about things that make them uncomfortable and have a very low tolerance for pain? Like, sure. Now I'm like, oh, maybe be more like the men. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. women just, like, we tolerate an intense amount of pain. And I know that for me, like, I don't want to generalize because I don't know really what it's tied to. But I know that for me, I've, like, tied it back to this, like, very irrational fear of childbirth pain. I've never been pregnant. So, like, I don't know what that pain feels like. I don't, I'm actually not sure how to quantify it. But in the pop culture they make it seem like that is the worst pain that you can have and so every time i've been in pain i'm like "Ooh, at least i'm not pooping out a baby and uh it turns out that probably i was experiencing pain that was more than that all along
0: I'm sure that you saw all over the internet lately too, like a headline that said something to the effect of menstrual cramps are as painful as heart attacks.
1: Yeah, it was like, tell me something I don't know. I
0: mean, right. <laughs> well, and I think that you're, you're right. Like that, The reason that got shared so many times is because people who have periods experience a lot of pain and it's not acknowledged or reflected that that is serious. Like all of those ads where blue liquid falls into a pad do not acknowledge that this is actually can be debilitatingly painful. And I was like, yeah, okay. so once
1: a month you have a heart attack in your pants.
0: You know? Well, sort of, yes. I mean, whatever. So I was like, I'm going to do a Google and find the original study because you know how we like to fact check. Yeah, <laughs> Snopes.com, um, unproven. I also noticed that like all of the websites that were linking to this were sort of of the bloggy, probably not going to do some original reporting variety. So as far as I can tell, it goes back to a 2016 article in Quartz that is mostly a first-person thing. The writer's name is Olivia Goldhill, talks to her doctors. And she also interviewed a doctor at University College London who told her that patients describe the cramping pain as, quote, almost as bad as having a heart attack. So to be fair, this is not like doctors have decided to objectively try to measure the pain experienced from menstruation and line it up with life-threatening documented really bad stuff. It's more like, yeah, when you see everyone sharing that headline, it's because we're all talking about the fact that like we share this experience of knowing cramping feels that bad i feel like people are sharing it because they're like doctors believe us like there's science that that's sort of like (laughs) the motivation for sharing that when really the doctors are just like this is what women say and the upshot is they're not listening i mean there's also there is a body of research that says when women particularly women of color tell doctors that they are in pain it has to be so much more extreme before doctors are like oh yeah maybe we can manage that pain or address it that is so well documented and also even like benchmark
1: against men's pain like men and women will come in with the exact same symptoms and men will get like more pain management and pain relief than women will there's this entire thing called Yentl syndrome that you should read about it will it's very infuriating and also anecdotally in my many support groups (laughs) that I'm a part of one of the big conversations that people have is around pain management before I had surgery I talked to my doctor about well My third eye is wide open and I'm afraid of opioid addiction um, because I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm convinced that it would happen to me. And that's like that's been a driving force in my life. It's like don't get addicted to opioids. Because I love to mask pain.
0: I know, but, but anyway. side note the text that you sent me when you were on Delauded in like the recovery room are some of the sweetest correspondence I've ever received.
1: Delauded is so delicious. <laughs> the nurse said <laughs> <laughs> the nurse in the recovery room told me. So first of all, I'm one of the I'm a nightmare patient for doctors and nurses. Any before they give me a shot, I make them tell me what it is, and then I make them show me. I'm just like, I'm a black woman. You're not gonna kill me in here. Like, I'm not gonna beat cancer so that like hospital negligence kills me. Like, I don't play those games. So <laughs> I'm always like double checking their work, and I'm like, can you say it again? Okay, what dosage? You know, and I'm like already high from like surgery pain. So it's not like I know what I'm doing. I just feel I just want to be proactive. But anyway, she was like, every time I gave you Dilaudid, you kept saying, oh, no wonder these little white kids are addicted to this stuff. (laughs) Delicious. (laughs) It's true. The relief is instant. Yeah, if you could buy Dilaudid like at CVS, I would be the poster child for like how bad it is for you. But anyway, <laughs> so I actually talked to my surgeon before surgery about pain management. And if you're going to have surgery, I especially if you're a person of color, talk to them about it beforehand and ask every question that you have. I was like, what are you going to give me? How much of it are you going to give me? What happens if I run out or I have more pain? Because the thing that I'm noticing a lot in my um, support groups is people are feeling a lot of shame about asking for more if like a couple of weeks in they don't feel great. And also I've noticed that everybody gets a different amount. Like I was given probably enough pills for four or five days post-op if I took them on the schedule that you're supposed to take them and then I was like well you know actually like Percocet is just like heroin plus Tylenol so maybe I'm just going to switch to the Tylenol uh, (laughs) and hold the heroin yeah because like in Europe they don't give you Percocet like they give you here but that's a different conversation So I would really encourage people to talk to their doctors about it beforehand. And also, if you are legitimately still in pain after your allotted dose of like pain medicine, there's no shame in telling your doctor that you still feel pain. Like there's a reason pain management is an entire body of science and medicine. Just having you know this like hysterectomy and the tumor—I keep calling my tumor tumor, (laughs) tumor—taken out of my body. Thanks, Arnold Schwarzenegger is that I still have, you know, like, I'm still a cancer patient. Uh, hopefully, like, that status will change over the next year. But I am I legitimately feel better than I did before surgery. You know, I remember my first post-op appointment and the doctor was like, you look amazing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was literally dying the first time I came to see you. <laughs> and I'm, like, running around or whatever. So, you know, it's not to say that it's all charming and that, like, everything went well but I'm like oh this is how sick I was like I'm so aware of that like just the the difference pain is really women's pain I don't know it's been on my mind a lot and I feel like I've been ranting to you about it so 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 much because you know some of it I'm just like okay like how much of it do you actually have to go through and how much of it is it, like, patriarchy? <laughs> you know, like, is it pain-pain or is it patriarchy-pain? And, like, what does that mean? And also, like, every way that we're, like, socialized and raised to just, like, deal with it and how, in the end, like, it is all a scam and uh, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to you. And I'm just like, I don't want to raise the next generation of women to feel this way and to feel like they can't talk about it.
0: Well, and you're not, like... I mean, first of all, you're not ranting. You're talking about your life and your experiences when the external world is not validating you or listening to you. I mean, you are one of a handful of women in my life who spent years, years of their lives in like chronic debilitating pain without a concrete diagnosis or treatment plan. Like there are women in my life who are still in the phase of like, okay, hopefully this next specialist can answer why I'm in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I was devastated when i heard about your diagnosis but i was also kind of relieved too where i'm like okay like now this is a thing that like doctors are aware of how to treat and like there can be new options and a new plan for you whereas like yeah so the answer is it's definitely patriarchy and if you are listening to this and you are a woman who experiences chronic pain and can't get a doctor to validate you or listen to you i don't have the answers but i just want to say we see you and it sucks and i'm sorry and Patriarchy is terrible.
1: Right. You know, but also like keep investigating because the only difference between you and a doctor is a that, that fool went to medical school. Oh <laughs> it's still I'm just really aware of this. Like your body, your responsibility. I'm really aware of all of the times that like I had an office job or whatever and it was like, I don't feel great, but I don't really can't go to the doctor because this memo has to go out today. You know, it's PR. It's not the ER. We don't save lives here. Uh, (laughs) You know, and, and thinking about all the times that I like didn't put my health first, not to say that it's my fault that I got cancer. It is absolutely not my fault. Like for me, it had to get to a point where I was like, Oh, I actually can't function anymore. And that's why I'm, I'm, like, cracking the books open.
0: (laughs) Right, and also, you have (laughs) a PhD in your own body. Like, you know your body better than, like, a doctor with a medical school degree knows objective truths about, like, the human body. So that's also real.
1: Oh, you know another thing I was going to tell you about pain? So I was talking to a nurse once. You know, like, whenever they're like, where's your pain level, 1 to 10? Which I always thought was, like, very dumb. And I'm like, actually, like there's no universal pain scale. And then what I realized that they were actually doing is to see how for real you were. So like, you never want to say 10 because they're just going to be like, Oh, exaggerator. But if you're like seven, eight, nine, like that's real. And if you're like four, they're like, Oh, she can take it. And I was always like, "Eh, I guess this is a two or a three for me. (laughs) And really it was a 17 on the one to 10 scale. (laughs) (laughs) So, So stuff is different for everyone, but you know, it, it is your body. It is your responsibility. And you owe it to yourself to like investigate all sorts of discomfort. Ugh. The flip side of that is that I was already a hypochondriac, which like probably saved my life. But a lot of cancer patients just report like having so much anxiety now about other thing that's wrong. It's like, you know this about me. Anytime my head hurts, I'm like, oh, that's my brain tumor. Like my leg hurt the other day. And I was like, yep, definitely have deep vein thrombosis now. just. <laughs> <Shut laughs> It's, you know, and apparently the anxiety lessens over time, but that's the thing that's also like really front of mind for me. I'm so paranoid about every noise and crack and creak in my body. But um, you know what? Like, we'll check back into the cancer journey. <laughs> Not to say that it's been a blessed experience or anything. I'm just glad that there is a plan. And also like I'm so aware of my own just like privilege and confronted with it every day that I can advocate for myself and I can have access
0: to health care. It's a very hard thing to grapple with. I am so happy to have you back back in the world. And like also I know we've talked about this before, too, but the idea that look what you were doing before while you were also managing essentially a health crisis. Like how unstoppable are you going to be? Like, like after you're through the woods on this one, I can't even handle like what you're going to accomplish. I'm dying. When I beat cancer, it's over for you bitches. It's like, you're just going to pummel your way through like literally every other goal you've ever had. I'm so excited.
1: Oh my that Or I'm just going to like stick to this life of naps and like being chill all the time. I'm like, wow, life can be like this. Part of the reason that I decided to be open about talking about, this cancer (laughs) is because (laughs) it's really because I'm an impossible person to help. Because if it was up to me, I would have just had secret cancer and never talked to anybody. But, like, I had to talk to you and Gina about it because it involved logistics. I other friends, like, saw me. And I was like, oh, no. So I guess I should talk about this. But then I watched my friends have a hard time deal with it. And I was like, yeah, I can't ask them to keep my secret. We're all going through this together. I'm impossible to help. So maybe they can help each other. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, throw you a bone. But the thing that's been, like, really delightful is that actually once I, like, relented, sure, please stock my fridge with food, like, check on me, take me to the doctor, like, all of those things that I, like, loathe to have people help me with, I was like, oh, not only is this fine, this is amazing,
0: I know. It feels also as someone who loves you, it feels really good to be able to like have a concrete action to take that communicates how much I love and support you. And I'm not saying that you should make choices about how public to be about what you're going through based on serving your friends and their needs, but like it does feel really good to be like, okay, like here's a concrete thing a meal train, here's a concrete thing, a blood drive. Those are things where yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can't just, I don't want to sit around and just be like, texting you about how you're feeling. I want to do something.
1: No, it's true. And also, like, I'm telling you, I'm like, I finally relented to, like, letting people help and letting people know. And uh, one reason I can do that is because, like, I have the best friends in the world. So, like, it turns out when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it. But also, I'm just like, oh wow, life can be like this. You can just let people take care of you. So even when I get better, I don't think I'm going to talk about it because <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, can somebody do my
0: laundry again this week? Because I like can't bend. Thank you guys. I mean, also call back to a metaphor from a few weeks ago. But like, the lady web makes a good safety net. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we can literally we can catch you.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, y'all caught me, and I feel uh, I feel very loved and supported. You know, it's gonna be a journey. It's gonna be the rest of my life, but uh, as long as I'm here, it's gonna be pretty fun. So let's see. <laughs>
0: oh my god, I'm, I'm getting really emotional right now. <laughs> oh, I'm,
1: I'm I'm an emotional mess all the time. Everybody's always like, "Oh, why are you so like? How are you doing so well?" or blah blah blah. And I'm like, first of all, I go to two therapists and I'm on 100 milligrams of Zoloft, hopefully more (laughs) starting next week. (laughs) And uh, that's another thing that I like really want to acknowledge is that getting yourself centered and medicated and talking about it is one way to, like, deal with a lot of stress in your life. Like, it's so funny. Everybody's always like, oh, you're in a good mood, you're being cheery or whatever. I'm like, no, this is, this is my life. You only get one life. You can sink or swim. And I am swimming as hard as I can. For anybody who always says, like, I don't know what I would do if that happens to me, trust me, you're going to do the exact same stuff that I am doing. Being sick doesn't turn you into some sort of, like, saint. It just brings up, you become your most, like, you-self because that's really all you have. You know, like how some people are also, uh, it's like little women, like Beth, like when you get sick, they're going to write a book and like do all these things. I turn to the opposite. I'm like, I'm going to watch all the reality TV that I'm not current on. <laughs> it's, it's my, I'm like, this This is what I want my legacy to be is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills marathons. <laughs> And like, I found a lot of comfort in that, but honestly, like therapy has been really helpful. I go to my regular therapist and then I go to this other therapist that is like, um, trauma, like sick people, specialized therapist. And, uh, I've made this joke to you countless times. It's, a uh, Regular therapy is the same as cancer therapy. Still your dad's fault. (laughs) So um, shout out to my dad who is not bad. Um, But you know, I am really supported, but also I was like, my mental health is going to be a priority for me this year. And like giving in to taking meds has been great. I'm like, oh, it's not because I don't try hard enough. I literally have a chemical imbalance. There's actually like a lot of, science that shows that there is a direct link between gynecological cancer and uh, depression surprise surprise Wow, that makes a lot of sense I have no shame around it take the help like anything helps like take the help but, um, yeah Zoloft Nation reporting in for duty I feel great <laughs> <laughs> I feel great I'm just like wow maybe if everybody was on an SSRI like we would all be fine
0: I mean, we're going to be fine.
1: That's right. <laughs> Buy your own neurotransmitters if you don't make enough. <laughs> oh,
0: my God.
1: <laughs> we got this. Okay. That's, uh, end, end of my cancer journey rant. Check back in in a couple of weeks or months. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I guess we should get back into the news. (laughs) Okay, tell me what's going on around the country. Have you seen what evil gnome Mike Pence is saying this week? (laughs) You mean the villain from Archer?
1: (laughs) The television show?
0: (laughs) This man was at an anti-choice luncheon, which like, with Mike Pence, that's just called lunch. I know. But this was an official. (laughs) Every luncheon is anti-choice luncheon with this guy. And he was like, listen, all of you people who... 100% hate women alongside me. Don't worry. Abortion is going to end in our lifetime, which... (laughs) Whose lifetime? Right. There's no like ending abortion. Like all the research from countries with stringent laws around reproductive rights and access, we know what happens. Abortions still happen. Women die from them. Poor women die from them. Rich women fly elsewhere and continue to get them. Like, that's what happens. Bodies and bodies of reporting on this, right? So, like, not like Mike Pence cares about the facts anyway. But then... Right. It's like, he's
1: he's like, I won't give you birth control, but also, like, I won't give you abortion. I'm like, my man, you gotta pick one.
0: I know. He's like, mother and I, we're just celibate. Like, you know... (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Not there. laughs> oh, God. but so the national network of abortion funds was on his ass and put out this release that was like, okay, let's see how that's going in your home state of Indiana, Indiana, which has some like stringent laws against abortion. You might remember the pervy Patel case where women, <sighs> yeah, like women who may have had a miscarriage or something like need to defend to the state that it was not an abortion it's like actually not the worst analog for looking at the direction that he wants to take the country. And guess what? It's not a safe place to be pregnant. It's not a safe place to give birth. It's not a safe place to have an abortion. And it's also not a safe place to have a miscarriage. It has the fourth highest rate of maternal deaths in the United States.
1: And it's shameful. He set his entire state on fire and then left to be vice president. I'm like, we see you.
0: And the other thing for like this Save the Babies perspective, it has an early infant mortality rate that is higher than the rest of the nation and is especially higher for like the disparity between black and white infant deaths. So definitely all these babies that he says he wants to save are dying in Indiana. And overall, Indiana residents have worse health outcomes than the rest of the nation, particularly among people of color as well. So this is what's going on in like, his case study for ending abortion in our lifetime nationwide.
1: Uh, th- these ghoulish people, my gosh.
0: Can you not read? Like, that's sort of my question here. I'm just like, no, what? they literally can't read,
1: and I am just like, well, you know, this is the thing that drives me, that just incenses me so much about these people who say that they're pro life. I'm like, first of all, I'm the real pro lifer here. Um, I like actually care about alive women and alive babies. I don't know. Big talk for a
0: person without a uterus. That's right. Uh, <laughs> whew, big
1: talk. But, you know, it's also just this this thing where I'm like, if you want to make laws based on your religious book, there are a lot of countries that you can move to in this country. We worship the Constitution, like get it together. They're always trying to have it both ways. The hypocrisy of it is what galls me more than anything else because that's what allows them to be dangerous is that they like shroud themselves in the language of religion and they care about people and whatever. I'm like, there's so much evidence that you actually don't care about anybody If, like, the Christian right cared so much, we would not have so many children that were up for adoption in this country.
0: Right, or living in poverty or skipping meals or, yeah. Or, like,
1: moms who are dying in childbirth. I'm like, if they put all of the energy that they put into their, like, fake fetus performance art into actually doing things to alleviate poverty or, God forbid, like, help pregnant women, wow, like, you could accomplish a lot, actually. But no, that's not what they're doing.
0: Okay, so speaking of the Constitution, are you have you been keeping up with this Supreme Court case that's going to be heard later this month? I know you have. No, you told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I I'm sorry. You think
1: that I'm joking about this? I'm like, no. I have been on a solid Housewives of Beverly Hills, and I'm watching Mash, the best TV show. Oh my anyway, god, that's a conversation for another
0: day. Tell me about. We are Skullis. not diverting this conversation about reproductive health loss to Mash. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you about Mash on my own free time. <laughs> So, OK, so in California, my beloved adopted home state in 2015, the legislature passed something called the Reproductive Fact Act. You know how I love I facts. I love that. Um, I love facts. <laughs> yeah, and basically it's a way of saying to crisis pregnancy centers and places that are anti-abortion propaganda sites masquerading as healthcare clinics that actually they're required to tell people that the state has public programs that provide immediate, free, or low-cost access to what? family planning, prenatal care, abortion, the whole gamut. And Facts. <laughs> yes, facts. The, it is a fact that the state has these programs, and if you are telling people that you— you are a clinic or a medical site offering access to information and services. The state of California is like, guess what? You actually have to offer access to information, not the services, just the info. And- right.
1: Like, don't lie. Just tell the truth.
0: Yes, and so there's an anti-choice group called NIFLA, the National Institute of (laughs) Family and Life Advocates. You just made that up. (laughs) I did not make it. I really wish I made it up.
1: You made up NIFLA. Stop it.
0: Yeah, so NIFLA is like, this curtails our free speech rights because we have to tell facts to people. Yeah. And the Supreme Court is hearing this case later this month, so...
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so speaking of the Constitution... (laughs) Let's talk about uh my favorite amendment, the 2nd amendment. Oh my god. Um it's not my favorite at
0: all. <laughs> do you have a favorite amendment? <laughs> I do, number 4. <laughs> <laughs> Such a seizure! <laughs> I knew you would have a favorite amendment.
1: <laughs> um, it's you know how I love a procedural.
0: <laughs> I have to confess. I mean, obviously, I love the First. It's so complicated. I actually kind of love how it's like bandied about falsely, and we can argue about its bounds oh, and all the time. I don't like the First Amendment.
1: I think that even worse than the Second Amendment, I think that people who are like champions for the First Amendment are all performance artists. But also, this is the experience of people of color, right? It's just like, yeah, here are all the rights. Like, who has access to them? <laughs> you know? Where I'm just like, oh, like, is it the First Amendment when Black people speak their truth? Right. Is it the Second Amendment where Black people get to own firearms? Is that the yeah, amendment? Yeah, you know? Yeah. But, like, the Fourth Amendment is my favorite because literally all of the law and order universe <laughs> is, <laughs> is built upon unreasonable searches and seizures. Dun, dun. So, yeah. yeah. I'm a, I'm a militant <laughs> for Fourth Amendment. Anyway. One story that's been, like, really heartening is the response that the Parkland teens have had to the mass shooting in their school. We've been talking in this country about gun control for two straight weeks. That has not happened ever. Just ever. So the kids are all right. They're doing amazing work. And it is also heartbreaking that children are the only people who have the courage to, like, stand up to our politicians.
0: Well, also in the dirty game of capitalism, children are the only people with time to protest. Oh, 100%. I'm just like, if we could outsource, you
1: know, in my Brave New World society, the teens are who do all of the protesting. A lot of people are very dismissive towards teenagers, which is so dumb because if you look at the entire history of every good civil right we've gotten in this country, like actual college students and teenagers are who made the first step every single
0: time. Sure, there's like that old button that says, don't trust anyone over 30. (laughs) It's like that. (laughs) That's
1: that's true. I'm like, I'm 32 now. And I'm just like, I don't like Trump, but wow, these taxes, like this is going to be good for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm making light of a lot of this, but honestly, like the... Every like big cry I've had recently has had to do with the teens because they have the courage, they're doing the work, and they're actually getting results. They're getting Republicans to talk about actually raising the age that you have access to firearms to 21, a thing that like three weeks ago was unthinkable in this country. They are getting big stores like Dick's Sporting Goods and my favorite name. Have you ever been and, uh, in a Dick's? <laughs> You know how many dicks I've been in? But, uh, and Walmart to like, you know, to really reconsider like the assault rifles that they're selling and things like that. And, you know, and obviously, like, we're not where we want to be, but I'm like, in two weeks, these kids, like, through their grief, have done more than anybody in the last 30 years. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I hope that they grow up to rule the world because they're doing amazing organizing. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I think about. Black teens who have been at the forefront of so much gun violence activism and like the teens in Ferguson and the teens in Chicago and how they were not embraced this way and they weren't celebrated this way. And that hurts, you know. It's true that like um, the Parkland teens like come from, they come from like a very rich school district. They in some ways have like so much more privilege. And if a different school had been shot, we wouldn't have this conversation But, you know, that doesn't diminish the work that they're doing. They're doing incredible work. But it also, like, makes you think about whose activism, like, we are, we rally behind, right? It's like all these celebrities are giving them millions of dollars. And I was like, wow, like, what would it have been like if Oprah had given the Ferguson teens $500,000? Right, or those teen girls that
0: organized that march in Chicago for Black Lives Matter. Like, what would have happened? You're right. It's
1: just a lot. But, like, you know, thank you to the teens who are doing the work the March for Our Lives is happening in Washington D.C. on March 24th, but um, you should look up your own city to see where it is. I will be at the one in New York. I have cancer, and I'm going to be at the New York one. What's your excuse?
0: I mean, the one in LA coincides with our LA blood drive, so just march wow. before you donate blood, and yeah, just like march make it a banner donate. day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> march before you donate. You don't want to mess up that order. You know, and also like have hope that like this can change. Like, we always act like some things are completely immovable, and the Second Amendment is one of those things. I don't own a firearm. I respect the rights of people who own firearms. And I honestly think that people who own firearms should actually be the ones doing all the work. I'm like, it's a bad look on y'all when somebody is like shooting up places. You guys should be doing all of this. Like, we, there's regulation that we can actually agree on. Like, that's not what's happening.
0: That's like my belief that people who are fans of sports teams with racist mascots should be doing all the work to get the mascot removed. It's like, you're the, you the ones with like the, like who are seen as a constituency here. Like, if you're a gun owner, you are the constituency for the NRA, like, even if you're not an NRA supporter. And so how are you making it clear that, th- that the NRA does not speak for you? Yeah, so bad luck. We also we did a big episode about guns in twenty sixteen that we'll link to in the show notes where we talked about a lot of this stuff in more depth and we interviewed listeners who are gun owners and then also, you know, speaking of like complicating your understanding about guns, we talked to Lucy McBath, who's an advocate with every town, whose son, Jordan Davis, was killed as a result of gun violence. And she talked a lot about the way Race plays into this, and is is an amazing advocate. So follow every town and follow their instructions on how to get involved. Because I do feel like you know we've seen all of the statistics about how m- many dollars the NRA is funneling toward politicians, and millions, that is millions, and that is true, and it's a problem. But ultimately, there's also when you look at polling, and especially in certain states, about support for really, really lacks gun laws. Like that's something that is unrelated to how they're spending on politicians. And so I think that like a grassroots response is just as necessary as like turning off the funding tap. So, you know, join join the grassroots gun control effort as well. <laughs> think about all of the teachers that you know. I alone know
1: so many teachers teachers do so much, we pay them no money and the Congress's idea of gun control is giving guns to teachers. I'm like, first of all, you don't pay them enough to outsource your kids' security to them. And second of all, that is ludicrous. And then when you add like race into the mix, it's just like, sure, like, the black teacher holding the gun will be the first person to die when the SWAT team
0: shows up. Right, or just driving to work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like one of the most famous school employees with the gun was Philando Castile, who had a concealed carry permit. He was still shot. And guess who did not come to his, to defend him? The NRA, who like they, if he had been a different race, they would have been all over that story because his rights were trampled. You know, it's like all of these conversations about like arming teachers and maybe we should beef up mental health. And and it's so offensive how all of the right wing are just like they keep calling people crazies and sickos and all of this stuff. I'm just like, no, like it's true. We should have a real conversation about mental health. One talk about in a way that's not offensive. But all of these things are distractions also from the fact that there are real concrete actions that they could take to make sure that, like, people don't have weapons of war in their hands and, like, pretend that they're using it to hunt deer. Yeah,
0: 100%. Did you see that meme that was, like, this is the only Glock I want in my classroom and it was a glockenspiel? That's great. Which I 100% agree with everything you're saying, especially about teachers, but I also want to just like bring it back to the fact that the NRA is really savvy about this stuff and if you make it a conversation about arming teachers, then everyone gets bogged down in that and like d- gets distracted from like bigger legislative goals. And so like let's definitely talk about how we are and are not supporting teachers, but like eyes on the prize, gun control laws that apply across the board, like that is the prize. Uh Yes, we have
1: a lot of work to do. <sighs> I got to work on my March for Our Life sign. Maybe you can steal that Glockenspiel meme. It's going to be Miss Frizzle with a gun. Oh my I think God. that's what it's going to be because my immigration march sign that I stole from somebody else is great. I feel like people have chilled on immigration recently.
0: No, people are locking down ICE offices in San Francisco today. People it's have not true. chilled There's on immigration. There's just no marches to go to right now in my
1: area. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Is what I mean. The immigration sign says, you're lucky I got off my plane, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so I need, mean, the other really good one that I saw was, we give you hummus, have some respect. And It's so true. So yeah. So I gotta, I gotta think about this one, but you're right. The glockenspiel is pretty good. It might just be a big Miss Frizzle like sign because shout out to Miss Frizzle.
0: All right, boo boo. I'll see you at the gun control protest at the blood drive and on the internet. (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: Being an active and engaged citizen. So much work. But you know know what? We can do this. We can do this. See you at the March for our lives. March 24th. (laughs) Also on the internet. (laughs) You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Canisius Need. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.